morning, everybody. If we haven't yet met, my name is Pastor Ryan, and I'm the new uh, executive pastor here on staff at Renewal, and so glad to be with you this morning. Uh, Renewal seeks to be a church that uh, ignites a gospel-spreading movement throughout multiple local congregations in the greater Philadelphia area and around the world uh, so that individuals, communities, and cultures can be renewed in Christ. And so this morning, if you're new or you're just joining us, we've been walking through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, that passage that um, Pastor Travis just read for us is the passage that we'll be walking through this morning. And uh, If you haven't been here, I want to catch you up a little bit. So in the Gospel of Mark, um, it's sort of like a, an 80s action flick. Things happen immediately. It's the, the, the diehard of the Gospel books. That's a little bit of a dated reference. It's the... Um, uh, Fast and Furious franchise of the gospel books. Um, and events happen extremely quickly. Jesus is here healing somebody, and then boom, he's over here teaching, and then boom, he's over here putting a smack down on one of the Pharisees. It just happens really quickly in the book of Mark. And we'll, we'll hear that refrain over and over again, that immediately um, Jesus is here doing something here and there. Uh, so far in our story, we've heard about uh, John the Baptist. Uh, he's in the wilderness and he's baptizing and Jesus comes out and is also baptized by John the Bap Baptist in the Jordan River and that puts uh, Jesus' public ministry off to the races. Uh, Jesus is tempted in the wilderness by Satan and then suddenly he's preaching the kingdom of God and then suddenly he's walking by the Sea of Galilee and he calls four local fishermen to come and be his followers. Uh, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, and they follow him. They become his first disciples. So that pretty much catches us up to our passage this morning. Uh, will you pray with me as we seek to hear from God this morning? Oh God, may you be glorified in all that we do and say this morning. Teach us by your Spirit. Illuminate Scripture to us through your Holy Spirit so that we can understand it, and apply it to our lives. Give me your words this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so why don't you keep open your Bibles. We're going to be slowly walking through this passage uh, with me. It's Mark 1, uh, 21 through 34. And this passage uh, that Pastor Travis just read, it has three big scenes for us, and it has a postscript. All three of the scenes and the postscript are about the authority of Jesus. They're meant to show us that Jesus has a completely different kind of authority than the kind of authority that we're used to seeing. Jesus' authority is an earth-shaking, fall-reversing, death-defying, enemy-crushing kind of authority that has existed long before time ever began. So the big idea here is this. Jesus has a different kind of authority. And if you want to follow along with my three main points, they're this. Jesus teaches with authority. That's one. Two, Jesus casts out a demon with authority. And finally, Jesus heals with authority. The three points follow along with our three main scenes that I just mentioned. So let's look at that first scene together, that Jesus comes teaching with authority and let's read again together uh, verses 21 and 22. 
And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, not as the scribes. So we begin by reading that they, that is to say Jesus and his new disciples, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, go into this small uh, but bustling town called Capernaum. Now, I have a pretty good sense uh, for what Capernaum was like because actually my wife and I have been there before. Could you put on that first image there? That's me as a bright young 25-year-old standing outside the gates of Capernaum. Um, and so something to know about Capernaum, and by setting the stage a little bit, is that it's a, a small kind of blue-collar fishing village right on the Sea of Galilee. It's on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. I, I took this next picture uh, right outside the gates of Capernaum, uh, looking out over onto the Sea of Galilee, and it's just a, a fishing boat. You, you, you see these going by all day long, even if you go there today, and you can smell the lake and the fish and the birds and the sea life if you're standing inside the, sea, the streets of Capernaum. And by the time of Jesus, Capernaum was uh, thriving enough that they had their own synagogue. Throw up the next picture. So this is actually the synagogue. It's still there to this day. You can walk on the foundation of the original synagogue that we read about here in Mark. What you see in the picture are columns. These columns were built in about the 4th or 5th century over top the original synagogue. But isn't that kind of astonishing that you can go there today and walk on the very same foundations in the building where Jesus went and taught for the very first time here in the book of Mark? Okay, last picture, I promise. Almost directly across the street from the synagogue is a church. Uh, it's actually a 5th century Christian church but beneath the church, as the uh, scholars and archaeologists began to dig and pull away layers underneath the 5th century church, they began to find homes. And one home in particular that they found, and again, this is right across the street from the synagogue, they found a home with Christian symbols inside of it. And there was graffiti on inside the home that had the name of Jesus and the name of Peter. And most archaeologists reasonably come to the conclusion that this is the home of Simon Peter, the fisherman from Capernaum, that later would become a site of a Christian church. Okay, you can take that picture down. So if you remember, Jesus also grew up in northern Israel, in Galilee, in the town of Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth is only about 20 miles down the road from Capernaum, further to the west of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus was just a local kid from a neighboring town. And Jesus shows up at the synagogue, and he begins to teach. Mark doesn't give any details about what Jesus taught that day. We don't know if he unscrolled one of the big scrolls and began to teach on the law or the prophets but what we do get from Mark is that there was a reaction from the people who heard him teach. They were astonished by his teaching. Because unlike the scribes, Jesus taught with authority. So who were the scribes? And why was Jesus so, teaching so different than their teaching? 
The scribes who hung out there at the synagogue, like the synagogue that you saw, the scribes were educated men who could read and write, and they were often considered by uh, the people of these small towns to be the legal scholars, the teachers of the Torah. They served many different functions in the New Testament world, but primarily when Jesus runs into them, when we read in the Gospels, Jesus runs into them in their role of leading and teaching in the synagogues. We'll see later that Jesus will spar in this book uh, of Mark. He'll spar with scribes on hot-button issues of the day like, how do we best observe the Sabbath? Or how does a Jewish person remain holy and pure? Or is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Or where's the best place to grab a gefilte fish around here? I, I'm kidding, he didn't actually have an argument about that. Um, but the scribes were considered... Um, very powerful. They had religious sway, uh, particularly in a small town, in a small co community like Capernaum. The local fishermen relied on the local scribe to teach them about how to think about God, to teach them how to respond to God, to how to understand scripture, how to live according to the law. And these scribes could come from different sects. They could be uh, Pharisees or Sadducees, um, or others, but by the time of Jesus, most of the scribes that you would run into were aligned with or part of the, the, uh, the Pharisee tribe. Um, and so they had this practice, the scribes and the teachers of the law of Jesus' day, of taking other teaching from other teachers, other rabbis, and referring to them to build up their own um, kind of authority. They would take other well-respected teachers and scholars to help the people understand the Bible. They relied on other people's authority to get their own authority. So according to Rabbi Gamaliel, the way to understand the wandering in the wilderness is this. Uh, the way to understand why God spoke through a burning bush is this. It's sort of like we uh, preachers here today in our sermons, we refer to Rabbi Keller says this or Rabbi Piper says that, right? It's that similar kind of thing that these scribes and Pharisees were doing. So you can imagine a blue-collar fisherman coming to the synagogue on the Sabbath because what else are you going to do on the Sabbath? They can't do much else. And so they come to hear another maybe boring lecture. They smell the lake and the fish outside, and they probably just want to get back to their boats. But expecting to hear a scribe rattle on, and instead that day, when they walk into the synagogue on the Sabbath, they hear a message from Jesus of Nazareth, and it blows their minds. I mean, listen to this guy. He's on fire. He doesn't just tell us what other people think about God. He is teaching on his own authority, like he knows something that we don't know, something special about God. You can read any gospel account of Jesus and his teachings, and the truth and authority just jump off the page. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through me. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. For what shall it profit a man to gain the whole world, yet lose his soul? Come to me, all who labor, who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in spirit, 
and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus could speak with a whole different kind of authority. He was preaching out of the core of who he was. Truth and love and God incarnate. He taught from the knowledge of always having been. Jesus, the Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father. His authority was of a different kind of authority than the fishermen were used to hearing when they went to the synagogue. So that's the first scene, Jesus at the synagogue teaching. Jesus teaching with authority. What happens next? Look with me again at Scripture in verses 23 through 28. It's Jesus casting out a demon. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent, come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him, and they were all amazed. So they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the region of Galilee. So we don't change settings. We're still in the synagogue in this next scene. And Jesus and his first disciples are there, still in the synagogue, and Jesus is teaching. And then in that action movie sort of way, suddenly a demon-possessed man stands up and starts yelling at Jesus. And notice something about what the unclean spirit says about Jesus. Everything that the demon says is absolutely true. It says, Jesus from Nazareth. Yes, true. uh, It acknowledges that Jesus has the power and the authority to destroy the demon. True. It calls Jesus by this great title, the Holy One of God. True. This is something that will show up again in the book of Mark. Four different times Jesus has an encounter with an unclean spirit or a demon in Mark. And whenever it happens, that unclean spirit speaks something true about who Jesus is. The point of this here, this story here, is that even demons who encounter Jesus realize who he is and realize that he is of a whole different kind of authority and power. The Holy One of God has come. Oh, man, we are in trouble. Jesus recognizes this unclean spirit and says two things. He says, be silent, come out of him. And that silent there is literally, it could be literally translated, be muzzled, you animal. It's really kind of harsh. It's sort of the equivalent of shut up, animal. This unclean spirit hears this from Jesus, and he has no choice. It convulses, it cries out, and it comes out of the man. It might be easy for us when we're just reading along and we read a passage like this about a demon-possessed person or an unclean spirit, it might be easy for us to get caught up in all the wrong questions. So wait, we can get possessed by a demon? How does that work? How, how does a demon possess a person? Or we might think, okay, so if somebody is possessed, how do we do an exorcism? How do we get rid of a demon? Or maybe, am I possessed by a demon? Man, last night I didn't want to eat that extra piece of cake, but something really felt like it was making me eat that piece of cake. Maybe I'm possessed by a demon. Look, I think this man here in this passage really was possessed 
by a demon. And the whole point of the story is another way to illustrate to us that Jesus has a whole different kind of authority. He has a power which goes beyond our questions. He has a supernatural kind of power that we don't normally see. It's eternal forever. And again, the people around him in the synagogue who saw this display of power recognized it in Jesus, and they were amazed. They were astonished, blown away. Not only does this carpenter's son from Nazareth come and teach with authority, but he backs it up by casting out a demon in our midst with authority and power. Even spirits from a different realm have to listen to this man Jesus. We also get a little note here from Mark in verse 28 that Jesus' fame begins to spread throughout the entire region of Galilee. It's like the early version of a viral video instead of a a cat playing a piano, though. It's the word about Jesus spreading that he's able to cast out demons, and it's beginning to spread all throughout the small towns and around Galilee. So first, Jesus teaches with a different kind of authority. And then second, Jesus casts out a demon with authority. And now we come to our third scene this morning. Uh, Jesus heals with authority. Read along with me again these verses in 29 through 31. And immediately he left the synagogue, and he entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. So remember my picture from Israel earlier. Simon Peter's house was right across the street from the synagogue where they were just at. And so you can imagine this simple fisherman who had just been called to follow Jesus. He hears Jesus preach. He sees Jesus cast out a demon, and all this craziness is going on, and he's kind of like, okay, this time is getting crazy. Jesus, my house is across the street. Let's go over there, and let's rest for a little bit. And so they walk across the street, and it's almost like uh, Peter kind of forgets that he's got a mother-in-law back home who's sick in bed. Uh, But they walk in, and and they immediately tell Jesus, hey, don't worry. Uh, We know that there's some coughing going on back there, but we'll be okay My mother-in-law is sick. Let's rest here for a little bit. And what does Jesus do? Jesus goes to the mother-in-law. He grabs her by the hand, and he lifts her up, and immediately she's healed. The fever leaves her. And what does the mother-in-law do? She immediately gets up and does what a mother-in-law does, begins to cook some food and, and serve them some food, and they all have this time together. So what's going on here? What are we meant to take away about Jesus here. It's that even fevers and sicknesses have to obey Jesus. Again, it's a whole different level of authority than what we're used to seeing. Any Jewish person who would have been at the synagogues and would have been hearing the scribes teach on the the Old Testament, they would have recognized, or they should have recognized, how Jesus connects to their own story. Way back in Exodus, in Exodus chapter 15, So if you remember, Exodus is the story of Moses and God's people. They were enslaved in Egypt, and God sends all these plagues, and finally Pharaoh lets the people go. The people of Israel began to leave, and then Pharaoh changes his mind, and they began to chase him. And then 
God parts the Red Sea, the people of Israel go across the Red Sea, Pharaoh's army tries to follow and are crushed by the Red Sea. So Exodus 15 is right after that. And at the end of Exodus 15, God begins to say something to the people of Israel, and he reveals something very important about himself to the people of Israel that day. He says, if you will listen to me, if you will obey my commandments, I will never let anything like just happen to the Egyptians, all that suffering and pain and heartache and death. I won't let that happen to you, for I am the Lord, I am your healer. This becomes a motif throughout the entire Old Testament, that God is the healer of his people. Eventually, we begin to hear about this righteous man of God, God's Messiah in Scripture, especially in the prophets, like in the book of Isaiah. And the holy man of God, God's Messiah, also begins to be revealed as someone who would come as a healer for God's people, Israel. And in Matthew's telling of this healing of Simon Peter's mother-in-law, Matthew directly connects this healing to Matthew to Isaiah 53. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. By his wounds we are healed. Jesus, in this healing, he is the fulfillment of Isaiah 53 and many other passages in the prophets. He is God's suffering servant who came to have the blind receive their sight, to have the lame walk again, to have the lepers cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead raised up, and the poor hear the good news proclaimed to them. Jesus takes broken things and people, sick things and people, and makes them whole again. So Jesus shows us a whole different kind of authority in the way that he teaches, in the way that he casts out demons, and in the way that he heals people. Let me just wrap this up for us this morning by mentioning the postscript that we get and also um, just a few key takeaways. How can we apply this to our lives? So in the postscript to our story, this is in verses 32 through 34, these verses tell us that after Jesus has done these things, after he's taught, after he's cast out a demon, after he's healed, the sun goes down, that means Sabbath ends. And remember, the idea, the, the knowledge of what was going on began to go viral around the neighborhood. And all the people of Capernaum, because the Sabbath had ended, grabbed all of their sick people, the people who were demon-possessed, and they brought them to Peter's home. And Jesus began to heal them. And that's how this section of our story ends. So how now shall we live since we've encountered the different earth-shaking kind of authority of Jesus this morning? Well, first, the authority of Jesus should encourage you this morning. If you're a Christian here with us this morning, if Jesus is Lord for you, you should be encouraged that you follow a Savior who has authority. He has authority over life and sickness, over angels and demons, over death itself. You should be encouraged that when you are faithless and feckless, when you're tired and weak, 
that we have a God who is mighty to save. If you came in this morning and you were discouraged because of your sin, be comforted. Jesus has conquered sin. He can free me from my sin and you from yours. If you came to church this morning and you were tired of battling some kind of physical ailment or sickness, be comforted. Jesus is Lord. He may choose to heal you today, he may not. But either way, Jesus is Lord and he is on the throne. If you came to church this morning and you were anxious about something, something that you knew that's going to happen this week, maybe it was a hard conversation that you needed to have with your boss or a difficult conversation you need to have with your spouse or you've got a big test coming up at school or you're anxious about a major life decision, be comforted. Jesus has your back. Take that anxiety and fear to him this morning. So the authority of Jesus should encourage you. The authority of Jesus should also humble you this morning. Jesus is God, the second person of the Trinity. He is of one substance and equal with the Father. Yet he took on human flesh. And as our confession says, he is both very God and very man at the same time. And as Philippians 2 says in a great mystery, that he emptied himself and took on the form of a servant, being born in flesh and blood in the likeness of men. All that authority and power, and what did Jesus choose to do with it? He became a man, he walked among us, teaching and healing, and then he went to the cross. He died so that we might live. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, first let me say I'm glad that you're here with us this morning. You're very welcome here. If you're here just checking out Christianity, you're seeking, maybe you walked away from the faith long ago and somebody has been bothering you and inviting you to come to church, we're glad you're here also. And this is what you are here to hear this morning. You're here to hear the good news of the gospel. Jesus, the one who had all that authority and power that we've read about this morning, that Jesus, he died for you. He died so that you might live. That there might be this great exchange that happens. What happens if you have faith in Jesus, if you believe in him, Jesus takes your sin and guilt upon himself, and what do you get in return in this great exchange? You get his righteousness. You get adopted into the family of God. You get made right with God because you have faith in him. How can this be? How can this happen? The only way that it's possible for this great exchange to take place is that this Jesus, this sinless, holy one of God who had all this power and authority was willing to take our place, to go to the cross and suffer and die on our behalf and rise again and conquer death and sin there. Calvary. Believe in Jesus this morning. Have faith in him. We're used to seeing people with great authority and power take it and abuse it. They take it and take that authority and use it to abuse other people, to have power over people. 
But she, Jesus shows us a different kind of authority, a different way to use that power. This great authority, he used it not for himself, but for us on our behalf. The only proper response, if you're a Christian or if you're not here this morning, the only proper response is to bow the knee, to have faith in Jesus, to give your life over, over to him, to be humbled by Jesus. And finally, the final take-home is that the authority of Jesus should send you. What do I mean by this? If you're a Christian, once you've bowed the knee to Jesus, the next step is that you actually move your feet to tell other people about this great Savior that we have. You ought to be the kind of Christian who engages with the world around you. If you've been coming to church for a long while, you've probably heard the Great Commission, the teaching of Jesus in the book of Matthew. Uh, and what are the first two words in the Great Commission? All authority. Remember, remember that? All authority. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Because Jesus has all authority on heaven and in earth, we are sent out on his mission with the gospel in our hearts and on our lips. Jesus has authority, therefore we go. We who are known and loved by Jesus should have a humble confidence in the gospel that when we interact with those who don't know him, we can share the hope that we found in him because we have an authoritative Savior. Our homes, like Simon Peter's home became, ought to be a place where lonely, broken, and sick people come to find healing, where people come to meet Jesus. Our homes and our neighborhoods ought to be that place of refuge. So friends, because Jesus has a different, eternal, holy kind of authority, be encouraged by him, be humbled by him, and be sent by him this morning. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's our practice here at Renewal to kind of end our time with some